Manitobaville, the podcast, is brought to you by Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. Hey, welcome to Manitobaville, the podcast. I'm Mahangel, and today we are talking about horsemanship, dressage, western, all kinds of uh, horse riding with Yvonne Vernaus. for a better way to expand your small business's marketing reach? Well, now you can take off by telling your story on Manitobaville, the podcast. Give your small business a boost and take off with a professionally produced podcast interview. Sharing your story has never been easier. Introduce yourself to future clients by sharing your Manitobaville podcast experience. You can speed up client acquisition, you can onboard clients faster, and you can save time and money. The takeoff package includes a 30 to 45 minute professionally produced podcast interview, three custom host read commercials provided by you, a limited marketing campaign through Rodeo Road and Manitobaville social media, a promotional code so your clients can take advantage of special offers. And it costs only $499.99 plus GST. Terms and conditions apply. Supplies limited. Price subject to change. Visit manitobaville.ca to get started today. And email us at howdy at rodeoroadstudios.ca. And watch your small business take off. So what got you into horses? What was your first attraction with horses? Well, down at our family cottage, uh, many of the cottages next to us, they their children all had horses. So I was just gaga over them and just fell in love. I really did. It was just, I could hardly wait to see a horse. If we passed a horse on the highway, my parents would say, look, Yvonne, there's a horse. You know, I just, my whole life was just horses. And I learned anything and everything I possibly could about it. You know, nutritionally, uh, learning different massage techniques, uh, worked with a chiropractor, acupuncture, uh, um, all the different uh, coaches that I had. And um, did a lot of reading. I went to a lot of riding clinics where people would be flown in and you bring your horse and you go to that indoor arena and you take lessons from somebody different. And there's always different things to learn by with, from different, different coaches. They all have different techniques, all have different experiences and different ideas. And it's, it's, it's a great way to learn by um, having a variety of people teaching you a variety of things. So when you started, you got into dressage first, or were you just no, riding first? No, no, just just riding down mm. at the lake. Uh, you know, we'd go camping with the horses, we'd go swimming with the horses, uh, trail riding, um, things like that. And then 
once my father uh, bought some land outside the city, um, uh, he says, when we buy the land, then I'll buy you a horse. And uh, <laughs> we didn't know a thing about horses. We just went out towards Stonewall, so a stable. And they said, horses for sale. We went in and bought a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up being a really good horse, thank God. Yeah. He was a half Arabian uh, Pinto, black and white. He oh, was nice. very pretty. Yeah, it was very, very beautiful. But it was Arabian breeders, and I stuck with that breed all throughout my career. I had nothing but Arabian horses. I always thought, I don't know why, I always thought Arabian horses were large, majestic, like bigger than thoroughbred type horses. And then I started seeing them, and I was like, oh, this is a good-sized horse. You yeah, know, they're, they're finer boned. Yeah. They're very dense. Their bones are extremely dense because of their background uh, all those de- all those centuries uh, pounding on the sand. Mm. So okay. they do have very dense bones, but the thoroughbred is mixed with the Arabian. Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so being a, like, it, it'd be a hardy horse then? like Very hardy. More yeah. hardy than a, thorough, I, than a, than a quarter of, horse? Yeah. Uh, they just have that, uh, a lot more stamina because they are a, a lighter breed and any kind of competitive trail rides, where it would be, it'll be 100, 100 miles, okay? They have these Trevis Cups, and you're climbing mountains, and you're in wow. ravines, things like that. And um, I think 99% of them are Arabian horses. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. So, yep. so when, yeah, when we see Arabian horses, they're usually at a fair, and they have somebody all dressed up in the traditional outfits, and we think they're elegant and Yeah, and kind I of did that. Pretty. That was one, yeah, that was one of the classes I competed yeah. in as well. But then, it was called Arabian costume, obviously. And yeah. it was beautiful. We just did walk, canter, and hand gallop both directions. And everything's flowing and flying. And uh, it, it was beautiful to see when you got, you know, 15 of them in the ring, all these different costumes, colors. And yeah. um, it was it was very pretty. Yeah. But that made, that was just one of the classes. You know, yeah. And we, well, it's, just, it's just funny to me because that's what most of us see. And then we get an oops. interpretation of what the horse is. <clears throat> and then we learn now that it's a... A hardy breed. <laughs> very hardy breed. Yeah. yeah. See, and they were really uh, close to people as well because uh, the Bedouins would house their horse in their tent. Okay. And they they used to say, if you lost your horse, then you were not worthy of having one. Wow. So big on taking care of your, your horse. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. One of those, sleeping in the same tent right beside you. You take care of your horse, your horse takes care of you. Well, yeah, you're out in the open desert. I mean, uh, you better take care of it. Otherwise, it's a long walk. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to wander off, right? <laughs> I'd be like, I wonder what it's like a thousand miles away. <laughs> oh, who knows how far they go, yeah. Yeah, uh, wow. So that's no, what, it just so happens I, mix, I got into that breed only because this Pinto was a half Arabian. And then I boarded my horse at a stable that was all Arabians. And that's just, you know, I stuck with that breed. But uh, they are very, very beautiful, very large, beautiful eyes you know long flowing mane and tails and uh you know their move is very elegant the way that their movement so mm. they're they're used for a lot of different events because of their versatility and do they have do they come with the full range of personality too so you still have to match the rider and the horse depending on what what type of riding you want to do um, not so much. They do all have their own personalities. Um, 
and it depends too on how you work with them. How you, just like a dog, I mean, their personalities are all different too. And and any animal you handle, it it all depends on how you handle them, what mm. kind of behaviors they have. You know, if you're a very uptight person, well, they sense that and they wonder what there is to worry about. So of course they're going to be a little flighty. You know, right. And yeah, they're sort of like a, a therapist for people, but we don't all, they can't talk to us about what's going on. So we, we have to learn to read them in order yeah. to read ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they are a mirror image of ourselves. You know, when we're next to them, we're on top of them. And it's amazing how differently they can be with certain people because they just, there's something about their smell or their or their their way of being that they just don't trust. But most horses are, are pretty trusting, you know. Mm-hmm. I've seen horses that, you know, unfortunately have been abused and, and still, you know, the riders can still get up on them and ride them. Yeah. But, yeah, you can bring them back around, right? But you can recreate their trust. Uh, yes and no. Some yes, some not. Uh, depends on that personality of that horse. Yeah. You know, and it might take a long time, a lot of patience, you know, but uh, by and large, they're good animals. They, they're they not meant to hurt us. Yeah. Yeah. They, and you get along with them pretty well if you're, if you're in tune with them. Yeah. Well, that too. A lot yeah. of people aren't in tune and they still get along. Yeah. You know, I, I just went over and above to be in tune with it, working with a sports psychologist to make sure that I was, you know, mentally and physically 100% calm and confident in what I was doing and form that bubble around my, myself and my horse when we were in the riding ring that there was nothing that would ever upset the horse because nothing ever upset me. And that's just how it is. However you feel, you pass it on to your horse because, you know, you'll be stiff, you'll be leaning to one side, uh, you know, so you have to be very aware of your body if you really want to do it 100% and did, give everything, all your aids effectively because you, you lean too much to one side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're mixing up a signal because it's all body cues you're giving them with each hip, you know, mm-hmm. whether you sit a little more forward or a little deeper back or where your legs are on the sides of the horse and different positions all mean different things. And then you've got your fingers on the reins. You know, you don't want to be pulling on their mouths. You just want to be touching their mouth. That's about it. Yeah. They, well, yeah, they say horses move away from pressure. So everything mm-hmm. you do on there is going to cause pressure. So mm-hmm. you, you need to know which way. It's like a joystick. Your body's a joystick and you got to know where you're yeah. pushing it to and how hard and why. Yeah. yeah. You have to definitely be in control of your body. Because mm-hmm. like I said, you're wondering why this horse isn't doing what you're asking. Meanwhile, you're sitting lopsided, so mm-hmm. you're putting weight more on one side, even though you're giving a cue with the opposite leg. Well, right now, what you just did is you're giving cues on both sides and in different in different ways that you're not even aware of. And the other horse is wondering, what is she asking? I don't understand that language. Did your you sports know. psychologist understand horses too? Like, was that part of it? No, no. It was all about my training. Okay, my so you, physical and mental training. So you didn't do group therapy with you and your horse and your psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> no group therapy. No, I, no, no. I, guess I you did could. my homework at home. Yeah, I guess you could. Like, if you're a, a, a psychologist and you knew about horses and people, you could attend a riding and and work with the person in situ. Like, you're on your horse; they can talk to you. Yeah. Like, you say, "Now look what your horse is doing." And 
Well, that's more like your horse whisperers and things like that. Yeah. People, they do things. Yeah, they'll they do, do workshops like and yeah, yeah, show you what you're doing wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's wild. Did you ever do that? Uh, no, but I did a lot of reading. Yeah. But but have you done worked with other people and then in their mind and working with their horse? Well, as a coach, whatever I learned, I always pass that information on. Yeah, but not yeah. not as a clinician. Uh, I did give clinics. Oh, you did? I yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I would teach, I would teach from one to ten people all at one time, depending. And I I try I taught at different stables too, so there would be group lessons, and I'd have up up to ten people who didn't know a thing, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's a large group to to try and keep under control. So it so was, was that lot. teaching dressage or was that teaching? No, just, I was just teaching someone to ride. Dressage, yeah. dressage is is learning finer movements for a horse. You know, um, lots of lateral work and bending in different directions, bending one way and going another direction and going sideways and pirouettes and things like that. It's all very fine-tuned riding dressages. Can you give you know. me a history of, of dressage, like to how it relates to other types of riding and and then what it is? Well, I think it all started off with um, they needed to teach these horses different tricks for war. Okay. You know, standing up on their hind feet um, hmm. and striking out or, or moving sideways away from someone that's coming at them. Oh, really? Kind of yeah. So yeah. it's a real quick quick twitch kind of thing, like a real um, instinctual and reflexive, I guess, when you're when you're Well, fully when you're at war, yeah, if you're at war, yeah, you want to get out of the way. So, you yeah. know, you teach your horse different things, how to get out of that. And did that mm-hmm. come from Arabia then? Because that seems... No. No? No. That's more uh, in Europe, um, like the Andalusians and... Out in Austria and things like that. Okay, because I, I remember reading about um, the cowboy boots came from Turkish riders who had the the heels, and then the Europeans brought that idea back with them. Oh, and okay. that's how we developed into even women's high heels here. The whole style. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's just all I know strip. is it's very important to wear a boot with a heel so your foot doesn't slide through. Yeah, you and, know, and if anything were to happen. You know, and oh. you lose your balance, your foot is stuck and you're getting dragged. So or if you slipped it right through a stirrup, that would be tough. Well, that's just, well, that's just it. Yeah, you don't want your foot sliding through. Yeah. Just in case something happens, to, you know, the horse makes a quick movement and you lose your balance. And if you go to fall, your foot now is completely caught. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> we know that turns out sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's, yes, I've. I've definitely had that experience. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> what, what but I managed to put, free my feet and push myself away from the horse. Yeah. Were you yeah. like being dragged and whatnot? Well, my, ho- my my saddle was loose and I was hanging on the side of the horse. Oh, okay. In a yeah. horse race. Oh, really? Yeah. Like full yeah. speed? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. With horses around me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I got badly hurt. Really? Yes. Very badly. Yeah. Did that end no helmet, bike? no helmet or nothing. This happened in 1978, I believe it was 78 or 79. Okay. 79, 1979. Yeah. So, so it, it didn't end your riding days. No, no. I yeah. had my leg in a cast, and 
neck and a collar and crutches and the whole works. But, you know, as soon as you get better, you get back on. It's, hey, you, when you yeah. fall off a horse, you always tell the students you got to get right back on. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> oh, and it's true. We yeah. always, and I would, I would make them. There, I don't think I ever had a student that never got back on if they fell off. Yeah. I always made sure they got back on because then they lose their confidence, right? Yeah. So let's let's get right back at her. And and the you horse know, was so probably have... and the horse was probably just doing something in the moment. Or they fell off from something they did in the moment. So it's not like the horse remembers and wants to just buck you off every time. No, and it's not even usually like a buck off. It, it could be just the person loses their balance. And I don't know, maybe the horse got spooked at something and stepped sideways. And you know, the horse went one way and the rider went the other. Yeah, yeah. You know, just the loss of balance in the rider. But it's, it's very important to get back in the saddle. For your own and, confidence, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because then if you if you don't get back on, you know, then uh, you have time to dwell over it and get all worked up and get all nervous and think, oh, I can't get back on there. I'm too afraid. But now you've overcome it within a minute. Right. And even going back around a horse with that attitude, they're going to be what? They're going to be tense like you are, like you were saying earlier. They're going to feel that. And then you're just going to say, see, see, the horse doesn't want me on them. <laughs> you can build up every excuse you want then because you'll have. Well, you know, um, it's good to have good school horses that are just can handle anything and everything. Yeah. You know, and all my horses were show horses. So I had four at one time and they were all very well seasoned in the show ring. So they've had all sorts of things happen around them and they just keep on going. You know, mm -hmm. um, I remember doing a dressage. Oh, gosh, I was at a, competing in a dressage show. A little kid walked past with a balloon. Well, my horse did not appreciate that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Well, yeah. He just, he saw that and just did a spin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the unknown. That's the thing, right? So Yeah. The unknown they shouldn't have let people get that close to the riding ring to begin yeah. with. Never mind. A balloon. But well, whatever. You had an event, right? It's, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. I remember yeah. Diamond, I was talking to Diamond Doug Keith, and he was a big horse guy, and he said his, his best horse ever he had was used to everything. He said it would, he'd let, he took it around everything, let it see everything, and mm -hmm. then he could do parades and whatever, and nothing bothered it. And he said, that's, he says, you got to let your horse, like if you're going to be in that kind of situation, you can't coddle it and then take it into a parade. <laughs> you have to. Not at all, no. <laughs> yeah. Even like uh, any uh, event I would go into, it was called Trail Glass. Well, we'd have blue tarps on the ground to walk over and bridges to climb over and gates to open and close properly with one hand. And, mm -hmm. you know, you got to spin the horse around. You can't take your hand off the gate. Once you lose that gate out of your hand, you've already, you know, you've lost severe points on that obstacle. Really? So it's an obstacle based on real life events. Yeah. yeah. So it's mm -hmm. almost like training your horse too. Oh, it is. I remember one time I had to pick up a goose, pick up a goose, <laughs> get on my horse. This was in the Morris, during the Morris Stampede, we'd always have a weekend horse show. Okay. Pick up a goose, get on the horse, get off the horse with the goose and put him back down or park your horse next to the goose and walk away to the pole and then come back. You know, so they were a pig in a cage, things like that. Oh, they did all sorts <laughs> of stuff. Anything, so, yeah. that, anything that would bother a horse, typically. Yeah. So you had to oh, show yeah. your horsemanship. Yes. Yeah. 
And some of that stuff you can't practice at home if you don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, kicking around. <laughs> oh, no if, big that old. <laughs> and, and if a goose will let you pick it up anyway, the best of times. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was pretty. I didn't do a lot of that. I did majority of my classes that I competed in were a whole variety of English style classes. Okay. But I, I did. I've done all the Western style classes as well. This episode of Manitobaville, the podcast, is sponsored by Antiquarian Objects, the legend of Manitoba, and your friends at Rotary Road Studios, marketing mavens of the digital range. Podcast, videos, TV, digital media, marketing, analytics, and more. Visit us today at rotierroad.ca. Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. Can you hang out with Western writers? Like, do they ostracize dressage writers or English writers? Or what... Not so much if it's if it's a, a societal type thing, but um, is it hard to go between the two? Like, can you easily shift between Western and dressage? Yeah, yeah. Dressage is the training of horse. So, if you can train, I trained in English, but I competed in Western classes too. So there's no ostracization or anything? No, 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 no. Yeah. And like I said, when we'd have our Arabian horse shows, we'd have a full list of Western classes and a full list of English classes. So we'd be jumping on off our horses and switching our equipment. And one minute we're in a Western class and the next minute we're in an English class. That's how versatile we, you know. So what equipment are you changing? Everything. From the saddle pad, saddle, bridle, and your clothes. Really? Oh, yeah. What yeah. what are the different clothes then? Well, you're wearing a cowboy hat and a western shirt and and um, oh, like jeans, cowboy and... boots and and chaps, and then you go into your different English styles, which there was four or five of them, and I'd have four or five different outfits. Whether it would be a hunter pleasure class or an English pleasure class, like English pleasure, I would be wearing a, a bowler hat with a shirt and tie and a long coat, and yeah. Like those long red coats, like the the fox hunt type people. No, that that's more that's that's different again. Yeah, really. So it's all these uh, different classes then. Mm-hmm. And everyone has its own outfit, and mm-hmm. and may or may not have a different type saddle or bridle and things. Yeah, like that. yeah. There are usually the English styles are pretty much the same. Unless you're going into a jumping class, then you're using a jumping style. Mm. So they are a little bit different. Okay. But, um, so does your does, so the gear will change, but you and your horse can stay the same and do every do all the different events. Mm-hmm. So the horse is versatile then. <laughs> that's that's all the years of training. Yeah. To teach them to do such a whole variety of things, 
you know. So are there bloodlines, like breeds that are like blood, what, how do you call it? The, like the family tree of the horse that are, is there known horses who are amazing at this that people try to get, you know, obtain their offspring? Well, in the Arabian breed, you're, well, most of the time you're looking for confirmation, you know, making sure that they've got good straight legs and, uh, you know, a good hip and um, things like that. This is, you know, good size eyes and things like that, that you look at, you want a horse that's a solid horse that's not going to break down on you. So you have to know what you're looking for. And then if you see how it moves, is it more of a Western style trot or is it more of an English style, more upright knee action type of trot, you know? So depends on what you're, what you want to, what classes you, you prefer to compete in and be really good at, you know? So I look for a lot more of a knee, knee action in horses that were trotting so that they would be more, you know, and very upright in their neck, how their neck was set on their shoulders. So uh, it would be more upright. Okay. And did you find horses that could do all the events? Yeah, my champion horse that, uh, that I won everything on, he could do anything. Absolutely anything and everything. And how much of that was, it's, it's uh, what it brought to the table naturally and, and how, how you trained it? Like was it was that... how I trained it, and he was so level-headed. Yeah. Very smart, very smart. And he loved the show ring. You know, he could hardly wait. He knew when it was time to go to a show. Once he saw that horse trailer, oh, my God, he led me into the trailer. Like, <laughs> and let's go. And then yeah. when we would end up at the horse show, when I was unloading him, he would act like a stallion. He'd arch that neck. He'd be whinnying, pretty much telling everybody, I'm here. You ain't going to win. <laughs> Look out. I'm here. It was hilarious. He loved to compete. I bought him when he was two, and he'd already been in the show ring since he was six months old, oh, being wow. shown at, at Halter for, for the confirmation. Eh? So um, I bought him out of Esteban, Saskatchewan, from an Arabian horse breeder out there. And so he had good, very good bloodlines. His, his, his sire, his father, had done, you know, very well at the Canadian Nationals. So and he was just a pretty and such a smart horse I had. Oh, like I said, I, I learned everything on this horse. So he's a stallion? No. Gelding? No. Yeah. 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 In most cases, you don't buy stallions. Only if you're a breeding farm, if you're looking for something like that. But no, Why, why is that? Heard, they they cause a little I, mayhem? in the, <laughs> the show well they can yeah yeah but um and even then you know like part of the agreement is if you're buying a horse it's not for breeding purposes they have them gelded before you take them home oh really so they're protecting their their business yeah, yeah. what if it, what if you had a stallion in the show ring like what would the difference be not much people rode stallions in the class okay the, but the thing is some of these classes are called halter classes, so they're being judged in confirmation. So now they're all divided into this is a stallion class, you know, three and over. You know, it's all by age group and by sex. Okay. So then, you know, you don't want to get too close to the stallion near you because then there could be a little bit of an argument. Like between the horses? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. the other thing they found in the Crusades was the English would ride stallions down and the Turk 
Turkish uh, cavalry people would have uh, mares. Oh and yeah, it would it would cut down the stallions to get a little excited, and they'd. Uh, well, I guess so. And, and the Turks had trouble with their horses <laughs> in the battle. So that was actually quite smart to do that. Yeah. So because it distracted the horse. Exactly. He wasn't then paying attention to his rider. He's thinking. Holy mama, there's a cute chick. <laughs> <laughs> the bear's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> or, or I'm yeah. going somewhere. Forget some fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make love, not war. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Silly humans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so that's amazing that your horse found somebody who was easy to load. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I had to he, I had to keep try and keep up with him. He would just trot to that trailer and just hop right in and just could hardly wait to go. Yeah. He just loved it. I competed with him for holy mackerel. I don't know how many de couple of decades. Really? No, not quite. At least yeah. fifteen years anyways. But horses live a long time too. That's the thing too. We we keep forgetting they're not like cats or dogs. Yeah, like my last two horses were passed away at twenty five. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I had to put this particular show horse to sleep. He had injured a front tendon on his leg and uh, he had been lame for about a year, year and a half and finally mm. figured out what it was. It was the left front leg and um, that was the end. And yeah. it was just the, the saddest thing. I, I grieved over that horse for at least three years wow. because he just brought me through my ranks from beginner to, you know, Canadian nationals. Wow. Hey, tell us then about those events. And when did you start competing? What year would that be in the 70s? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and how many big events and what kind of events were around? Well, we had we had two Arabian horse clubs. And so I competed in each of their shows. So that would be, each would probably put on about four or five shows. So I'd have about 10 shows during the summer. Okay. And then uh, I'd go out of province too, to Saskatchewan, and compete at their shows as well. And um, at one point, um, it was 1997, I went down to, I went down to Minnesota a few times and competed there. And one was a big regional show and I became champion in one of the classes that I was the only amateur and the rest were all big time trainers. Wow. And they, and I, then they call my name. I go, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like I'm looking next to either, either side of me and I'd taken clinics, weekend clinics from these from these coaches and here I just beat them all and there was 26 in the class it was just all my again all the work mm -hmm. I'd done with the sports psychologist that mm -hmm. you know kept me in a proper frame of mind and totally relaxed and got the most out of my horse is there that many events this like nowadays no our the clubs folded quite a few years ago um let's see so I've had no horse for 10 years and the clubs had already folded at least five or six seven years before that Really? Uh, the numbers just kept dropping and dropping. And, you know, it's the same people that organizing it. You know, I would be one of the organizers too and competing. I, I put on complete horse shows and then compete in them as well. Wow. That's a lot of work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, because I was always on the board with these clubs. So, is there a big community out there now? Like, no. Just there is horsemanship in general uh, shrunk. It has shrunk. Like I went to the stamp Manitoba Stampede this year for the first time in years, and there wasn't even a horse show. Yeah. Like in the in the ring behind the main stadium, which there always was, and there was no horses in the barns, which in the past was full of horses. 
and mm. cows, there was nothing. So it's just the cost of everything that's just people just could not afford any of this stuff anymore. So I guess that when 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 the group stopped putting on events and stuff, that that must be hard emotionally too, or psychologically. Well, that's where you have to go and look and go. Like I said, that's when I, you know, I was toward my latter years was competing in dressage. So there again, you're competing against different breeds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a breed show. And then I'd go to uh, all breed shows in Brandon. So it's again, different breeds because our Arabian shows were shrinking. Um, we lost one club and we we're down to one club. So that's only five shows. Mm-hmm. And at one point too, I forget, it was in the early 90s, we had um, the Summer Games, and it was the first time we had equestrian events, and I actually qualified in dressage to compete at the Summer Games. Nice. Yeah. How did you do? I was doing really well. I was was in second or third place going into my strongest event, which is called the Kerr. So you make up a routine with music. And unfortunately, my daughter was only a year and a half and my husband had was parked at the very end of the riding ring next to the grandstands. And she started crying when she saw me and my horse and my horse reacted. Oh. He reacted. Yeah. He just like got very upset because he knew her. And, um, you know, again, bolted and spun around. Well, there goes that event. Wow. Yeah. So it was very upsetting. Hmm. I mean, I worked so hard because I had to go to many qualifying shows to to get in there. Mm-hmm. And you, you're, I was representing the Eastman region. Yeah. And so there's only two horses that are representing for each division, for each region. Wow. And to have my daughter's crying blow it for me. <laughs> A lot of other people crying after that. <laughs> oh, I was crying. Let me tell you. Yeah. Because I, you know, like I said, I was either second or third. And this was now my strongest event. Wow. You could have leapfrogged and up. I dropped right down to sixth. Oh, uh, no prize. No, just wow. upset and tears. Jeez. And just, I didn't know what had happened. I only mm-hmm. figured it out after when my husband said where he was parked. And yet the window opened, my daughter was there, and then she started crying. And then, of course, you yeah. know, the horses are sensitive. Of course, they can hear like anything. And that can happen and, fast, too. He couldn't get the and window And it happened up. so fast, yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. No clue. Why did he react this way? He's never done this before. Yeah. So. Your husband's trying to roll the window up. <laughs> well, too late. Yeah. Too late. The yeah. damage was done. Wow. Yeah. That was that was heartbreaking. That, that took two years of qualifying. To, to make it that far and then to just have it blown by my one and a half year old daughter started crying. Yeah. Oh, well. Is your podcast working for you? Or are you working for your podcast? It's not easy finding the time to turn your ideas into great content. And right now, Streamer's got more podcasts than I believe I've ever seen. But if you're different and want to stack the deck in your favor, we can get your production on track 
and help you to find your audience. The good folks at Rodeo Road Studios will help you particularize, synthesize, and optimize your podcast broadcast. Get your show on the road by visiting rodeoroad.ca. Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. I love teaching. I love coaching. I love teaching kids. I taught from kids age five to a man that was 65. Really? So I had quite the range of students. Um, and uh, I always enjoyed teaching them everything I knew. I didn't hold anything back, you know, mm. and I and I used a lot of analogies so that they could understand the age group that they were in, you know, whether right. it was five or 15 or 10 or 12, mm -hmm. I would use different analogies to relate so that they could relate. And they learned that much quicker that way. It was just a, a technique I developed. And um, so at the 65 year old man, you say, Hey, it's just a hair of the dog, the bitch. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> they can't say that to the five year old. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, then it's a toy or a doll or something like that, you know? Okay. But um, I'd often do demonstrations. I'd get on on the ground with all four on all fours and, <laughs> and show them things. I mean, I was quite silly, yeah. um, and of course that makes them very relaxed because they're laughing, mm -hmm. right? But you know, I was I was a pretty strict coach. I made sure that um, I got the kids respect. They could not say "huh" or "what" or whatever. It was always "excuse me," "please," "pardon me." Mm -hmm. You know, and I did even get comments from parents that said they love it. Keep going. Keep doing it. We love it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But and it's respect for the coach and it's respect for the animal, because I've had to say, look, you, you don't handle that horse that way. Okay? Yeah. Then then you're not allowed to touch the horse. Sorry. Yeah. Because if you're not treating your coach particularly well, you're definitely not going to treat an animal very nice. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to translate. Yeah, yeah. And I had one little boy, he was 11, and um, he had um, he had an illness, he had uh, Tourette syndrome, and he wanted to know how to ride. Mm. And, um, but he was too afraid to touch the horse. Really? So now this is a whole new way of coaching I had to develop. I'd never well, had to What teach. was Tourette syndrome? Like, we, we the know that sometimes you ticks and you'll say words and things and like that. And the verbal, yeah. So, so is that like also a tense body too? Like people, yeah, very tense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had to, how do you teach someone to ride if they're too afraid to even go near the horse? Hmm. So everything we did, because when you brush a horse and you pick the feet, there's always three or four brushes you use. I put my hand in the brush with the child's hand. When we pick the feet, we both pick the feet. I molded my body up against his, put my arm down alongside his. We both held the hoof pick. We both held the leg. Wow. When we bridled, we both did it together. When we saddled, we both did it together. So he uh, got very comfortable because 
he was he was connected to my connected to me mm-hmm. and um i noticed after a few months i thought gee whiz i don't see any more ticks yeah the ticks had stopped because i realized it was anxiety just not so, maybe not knowing what to so you showing them how to do things and feeling well, he relaxed. just got so relaxed with yeah. what we were doing that yeah. he had no anxiety wow yeah it was amazing because he had a million ticks and I had him in the show show ring at the Moore Stampede the following summer. Really? Yeah. He went in there all by himself with a bunch of other horses and away he went. <laughs> that's, that's, is that some kind of breakthrough? Yeah. Did his doctor say anything about that or? I don't know. I don't know, but that's I know right. the par- parents were tickled pink, of course. Yeah. Well, you'd think yeah. that'd be some kind of new therapy. Well, they do st- animal therapy. They do therapy with animals and dogs, right? They got service yeah. dogs and things like that. That's for anxiety. So this was definitely, uh, I managed to break through his anxiety and make him very relaxed that he actually, the next summer, and I had only an outdoor ring, so riding lessons were, you know, drew according to the weather conditions mm-hmm. and, the, and the arena conditions. So it wasn't... <clears throat> Weekly, you know, we'd get rain and then, you know, couldn't ride for a week or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So we would start in May and end in September, October. And and then next summer, got him in the show ring in July at the Stampede during our show. I was competing in it and I had him compete in one class. How did he do? Does that he fun? did great as far as I'm concerned. He didn't get a ribbon, but he did great. Yeah. Well, that's you know. the thing. Yeah. Everybody... It can be so close. Everybody can do great. And then the judges have a real tough time, right? Yeah. 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 You know, he couldn't do things perfectly, but to have him out there, he had the guts to do it. I mean, that was just awesome. That's amazing. It was amazing. It's, it's my favorite story to tell from a child who couldn't even, couldn't even touch the horse. And a year and a a year and a bit later, I had him in the show ring. Yeah. It was just, I was just amazed. Um, and like I said, I didn't notice the ticks were going away. It was just all of a sudden one day, I, oh, yeah. I noticed the thing, you know. He couldn't do everything 100%. He was probably at about the 70%. I'd still have to be there with him, helping him. Do you notice but that amongst boy. all people? Like the less we're around animals or working with animals, have people changed a lot? Yes, Definitely. People change when they were. It's important, I think, that every child works with an animal or has an animal. It teaches them. It's not all about me and um, teaches them how to take care of something or someone else for the future and how to respect another being, how to treat them well and how to learn to understand them. You know, open up your mind and, and learn of another, learn another species how to handle them and deal with them and, and be able to communicate with them through body language and sounds because these animals don't know words. It's just sounds and body language. Yeah. It's like kindness too comes into it because you, they can't talk to us. It's like a dog or a cat. We're always much kinder to them because we're like, what, what do you mean? What do you want, boy? What are you saying? What do you, what do you need? And that's right. we wouldn't do that with another person or like, that's yeah. yeah just yeah. tell me what you want. You know, <laughs> get real mad. So. No, I think it's I think it's totally really important for 
children to work with animals because I think they just become a better person, better adult, um, you know, have more empathy and patience and things like that. So how would you sum up a, a life of, uh, of equestrian as a, just in general, how would you sum this all up? Well, it's a fabulous experience to become one with an animal that you can't verbally communicate with and you have to learn to communicate with them in other ways with your body uh, on their body. I mean, they're sensitive creatures. If they can feel a fly land on their back, they can surely feel us sitting incorrectly, putting weight on one more one side or more than the other, you know? So it's uh, learning about self-awareness and um, learning a horse language, you know? So there's, it, I find in this sport, you just never stop learning. You never know everything. There's always more to learn. And that's why I, I was in it so long. I just kept learning and learning and had different coaches. The last coach I had, he was uh, from the Danish cavalry from Denmark. He was really good. And he, he really taught me a lot of interesting things that I never learned from a, a Canadian coach. You know, he taught dressage and the jumping in the Danish cavalry. He was the captain, I guess you call him. And he was awesome. I'm not sure if he's alive anymore, but uh, um, he, he taught me probably the most out of any of the coaches I had. But I did a lot of self, self-teaching. You know, I went years and years and years without any coaching. I just learned on my own, read, watched videos, went to riding clinics, and just hours in the saddle. Keep practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. So... I always wanted to be really good at whatever I did. So I put a lot of effort into it and uh, pays off in the end. You know, it's very rewarding, you know, when you, uh, you know, when I won my very first first place ribbon, I, you know, I was just ecstatic, you know, took me years to get there. And then, then it, then I obviously was at a certain level in my education and writing that uh, it happened more consistently. And then, I won all my club awards, championships, provincial championships, regional championships, and, you know, top 10 Canadian nationals. So I've, you know, always exceeded, always did very well, but I put a lot of work into it. And uh, that goes with anything. You know, if you don't put work into it, you're not going to get anywhere. So um, it taught me a lot, taught me as a person how much effort you got to put into things to uh, to succeed. So it's um, very educational in so many ways, physically and mentally. Nice. Highly, rec- highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. If anyone has the chance, I would do it. You know, if I were them, because it's it's um, it's it's not just like having your dog. You take them for a walk. You know, you're actually doing things and teaching these animals to do certain things. You know, so it's very rewarding when once the horse gets it. You go, haha, I taught him correctly. He's done it.
Hey folks, just a reminder, our email is howdy at rodeoroadstudios.ca or you can use the contact form at rodeoroad.ca. You can visit us on social media. Just search for the Manitobaville moniker. And we appreciate every like, share, and comment that you care to make. And visit our YouTube page, Rodeo Road Studios. And when you watch that video, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you so much. Huge thank you to Yvonne for coming on and talking about uh, all things horses with uh, her experience in dressage and, and training, training her mind, training the horse's mind, training her body, training the horse's body, um, all the stuff with the right equipment, the right mindset, and what it takes to become a champion in your field, especially, especially with horses, especially with um, dynamics such as that because it's not easy it's not easy for most people just to get themselves on track but to do it with a horse that's something else that my friend is Manitobaville Manitobaville the podcast is a production of Rodeo Road Studios Limited copyright 2023